And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Culture Calculus. I'm joined again by Jason Jones, our Sacramento Kings beat writer. And today we're very excited to have Nate Taylor on the show. Nate covers the Kansas City Chiefs for us. Um, and he's written two of my favorite pieces for our new culture vertical, one on Keona Sinks and uh, the Negro League Baseball Museum and uh, another piece on Black History Month and Madden, which was super fun. Um, but, you know, while we're extremely happy to have Nate on the show, we are not talking about some fun stuff today. So first of all, hi, Nate. How are you today? Masterful intro. <laughs> I am doing well, Kavitha. Uh, hello, Jason. It's hey, great to on? be here. You know, I cover the Chiefs. Uh, this is I'm going into my fourth year covering them. And uh, yeah, you know, thinking about the NFL in a larger context, which brings us to, you know, some news that. I mean, how much does the average fan know? Which I know kind of gets into why we want to have this discussion. Yeah, I think we want to break down. So, you know, I think that those of us who work in this industry might have heard about this uh, a couple of months ago when um, one of the kind of side lawsuits was first brought. But I think for most football fans, for most people in America, um, the term race norming was not in their vocabulary until last week, really, um, when the Associated Press reported that uh, that the NFL would stop using this practice known as race norming to um, kind of gauge and grant claims made under the 2013 concussion settlement. Um, like very basically, first of all, uh, Nate, can you just break down what race norming is in the context of football in the NFL? Okay, I'm going to try to do this in a very digestible manner because it sounds wild probably even as I say it. It is wild, yeah. I can I can give you what my three-word reaction was when you're done. <laughs> it's, it is so wild. But in essence, you know, it is the practice of adjusting test scores or the outcomes of tests when it comes to a person's cognitive, uh, you know, condition. And of course, when you tie this to football, that's obviously in the relationship with concussions and head injuries, more specifically, as the NFL likes to view them now. Um, but the idea that, hey, we need to adjust this score or adjust this person's cognitive ability that we as a medical professional would evaluate because they're a person of color within the framework of our entire league being more than 70% African-American, black, uh, and the future of our league, and I think this needs to be mentioned too, is probably going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. Um, again, I just said all those words, and it's crazy that I just said all those words. Those words are crazy. I kind of want to just put them, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going to put them in, like, the most simple terms possible. Basically, under this settlement, the league assumed 
black players to be dumber when they were measuring um, the cognitive impairment that concussions and playing football did to them compared to white players, right? Bingo. When I saw the thing, my first reaction was, what the fuck? Like, are we serious? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're talking about a league that for years said black players weren't smart enough to play quarterback. You mm-hmm. weren't smart enough to be centers on the offensive line because you had to make calls. Mm-hmm. You weren't smart enough to be middle linebackers. You weren't mm-hmm. smart enough to play safety because you had to patrol the backfield so you will put you at corner, but you can't be back here. And you're just thinking they're still not smart enough to be head coaches. Yeah, mm-hmm. this has got to be some 1960 survey. You're like, no, this is 2021, and you're basically telling, you know, for all the stuff the league said about Black Lives Matter last year, and you know, we, you know, we support our black players. But we don't care about your black brain, your black bodies, because we think you come into the league dumber. So so what if you had a few concussions? It didn't really hurt you that much because you're black. And, and that's and, and, insane. And I think it should be a much bigger deal. And it's kind of it's 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 been a story, but not big enough of a story to me. Yeah. And, and I think both of you all said it in a manner that um, I applaud because I'm just trying to give the facts. But. And I and I wanted both of you guys to, to give that more understanding of like this this is insane just because um in a lot of ways the NFL wants to make it appear as which they're a progressive entity, that they are getting more progressive. In what world is the is the I, NFL the, the appear- progressive league? The, it's I'm just saying, like it's the appearance, Kavit. <laughs> it's the appearance. You know, we're they're, they are trying to do things um, that look a certain way, but in all actuality um, are much different. And this is one of a primary example of many that you could give, um, not just obviously as it relates to black coaches and sort of the ladders, the hurdles, ceilings, whatever you want to call it, that they have to climb to get one of these premier jobs when they're leading, again, a locker room with men that mostly look a certain complexion um when you think about it in this context the problem that i have is that this was something that federally you can't do like in the actual um profession of trying to give somebody the treatment that they need with the condition that they have this hasn't been legal in over two going on three decades now. Uh, but in the NFL, uh, this is okay just because this is part of the sport in of itself. It is a violent, violent sport. I need to say that like all the time to fans. Like this game is so brutal and what it does to people um, on a week to week basis as they're trying to score touchdowns or prevent somebody from scoring touchdowns. It's a brutal sport. Um, that head injuries are always going to be a part of it. But we are also telling these players, the large majority has to say, that, hey, man, you can get on back out there because it's, it's okay because we've already, we've already given you, uh, or we've already sort of tried to demonstrate to you that you're lesser than, and don't you want to go back out there and play again? Like, don't you want to, like, be a part of the, be a part of the spectacle Without us really, because you're not a quarterback. Because you're not a quarterback, why don't you go out there and and play for our entertainment and see if you can make it out on the other side 
like it is a competition. Yeah, I mean, to put it extremely simple, I mean, first of all, just the idea that the NFL just for decades denied that playing football was bad for people's brains in general, right? Like, that's the context that we're having this conversation in. Mm-hmm. And oh, then- we, No, no, no. Kavita, they would tell mothers- Right. Like we like don't don't tell the uncle, don't tell the brother. Mm-hmm. Just tell the tell the grandma, tell the mom, tell the aunt. No, 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 no. We got it. We got all this research. We got all these scientists. Our helmets are so nice and new and <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, it, it, the game is as safe as it's ever been and I always ask people, "Have you ever been on the sideline of an NFL game?" Whoo! I have. It is scary. Well, as the, safe as the, it's ever the, been the is also speed relative, those guys right? Move at and the size Correct. they move at, it is scary and to get hit like that it's just it's more nefarious than all of that because once we finally got the NFL to admit that this game is brutal and and is dangerous for players' bodies and their brains, now it, as part of the settlement that again was decades of fighting to get to, they're like, all right, this game is brutal and it's bad for your brains, but it's not that bad because y'all don't have as good brains as white players. Is essentially what they're saying. I mean, exactly what they're saying. It's exactly. Yeah. What, it's not even essentially. They're you know when you look at just the position breakdown. What positions do black players play? They play running back. You know, a tr- you know, a, a, you know, head first type position. Linebacker, offensive line bl- positions where you're constantly, you know, sticking your head in the contact. And who, you know, and who doesn't play those positions? You look at the ones who aren't getting those risk: quarterbacks, kickers, punters, people who can get concussions, but aren't likely to have that same type of repeated trauma in today's league. And Mm -hmm. it's just crazy that they thought this was okay. (laughs) Like, you know, it's okay. You know, we'll we'll just kind of brush it aside. And it's not, you know, I mean, people have called this systemic racism. Exactly what it is. I mean, how can you just with a straight face say you care about these players and then turn around and tell these same players, Oh, your brain is, you know, your brain is okay. Never mind their bodies. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of us know how you know, wrecked their bodies are from on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. But to treat their brains like it's no big deal, then to send them, you know, and then we got, the, you know, you look at, you know, CTE and the suicides of uh, former uh, NFL players. It's just all, it, it's disgusting to me that the league thought this was okay on yeah. any level. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think we've got to provide the historical context here because this, I mean, this whole thing is wild, right? But this is a thing. This It's called race norming. This is a thing that has been around for 40 years now. So race norming started, I believe, in the Carter administration. So we can't even have the Democrat, Republican, like this is not, you know, this is just race. This is just good old American racism. Um, But race norming started in the 70s. And it was originally because people and I think well-meaning liberals, frankly, but, you know, always kind of starts with a well-meaning liberal. They saw that there were disparities in um, in in cognitive tests and aptitude tests 
tests like the SATs or tests that were required for federal jobs that broke down along economic and racial lines a lot of the time. And instead of fixing the tests, which I think that we could agree is probably the way to go, like there is racial bias in testing and we've learned that over the years Mm -hmm. and we understand that. But instead of fixing the tests, they chose to fix the results by this practice called race norming, which supposedly assumes that not that the tests are biased or that there are social reasons that a black person might not test as well, but that there is a biological inherent inferiority that is causing those test results to to skew. And that's been the practice for 40 years now. And it's wild that this is being used in an NFL settlement and was defended by this. This is the wildest part of this for me. Mm-hmm. It was defended by the class council. It was defended by the attorneys who were representing the players in this class action suit. Nate, do you do you know, first of all, like like how how any of this was negotiated in that original 2013 settlement? Well, you have to remember back in 2013, the, the, the issue was, can we get a victory? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the that is a big overarching goal of this is like hey we know this the league knows it there is evidence to back up that um the league did not protect its players um however you want to describe the whole idea of a pension plan in the nfl which is you know hilarious in and of itself hey bash your head in on third and seven but like we got a pension for you on the back end anyway they just wanted a victory and so my understanding as i've read a lot of this and done some research. And look, you, you call people in the league and they know it's a topic that doesn't look good <laughs> on, on the employer that gives them their paycheck, by and large. Um, but they wanted a victory to sort of suggest that the NFL, again, from an appearance standpoint, was going to be better positioned to help players towards the latter parts of their life and they're going to start here with these settlements that are going to acknowledge that yes we messed up but we don't want to show you just how much we messed up like we don't want to show you like the whole book like maybe two pages like two (laughs) pages out of the chapter is what we want to show you but hey we're going to give you this money quietly kids uh that money has not gone out as much as you would think it would mm-hmm. based on us now living in 2021. Um, some of those players haven't gotten a thing, which is also insane. Like, hey, we won the settlement. Let's cash this guy out. Let's make him right, you know, for all the things that we did. Some of those players, and again, a good portion of them are African-American, black. Uh, some of those players haven't received anything yet. So um, to bring it all the way home, Kavitha, we give you this so that it looks to fans, to moms, to future players, we're going to do right by you moving forward. Better. Maybe not right. We're going to do you better moving forward. But at the same time, uh, we're going to keep this practice because we've always kept this practice. And why would we change that? Even though we acknowledge that we messed up in this particular manner. I do have this question and I don't like, I don't expect you to know the answer because I know you didn't cover this case in 2013, but just throwing this out there for both of you or for like the audience just to chew on. I genuinely don't know if this race norming was something that the NFL wanted or something that the players 
attorneys negotiated for because they seemed really defensive about this practice when the first side lawsuit came down a couple of, a couple of months ago and if if the idea is that you know and and it's obviously misguided but if the idea is that this is supposed to course correct something then i genuinely don't know if this is something the nfl fought for or the players fought for it's a players thing ultimately because i think guys um, you know, one player that has been mentioned several times and he deserves to be mentioned here is, is Najee Davenport. Mm-hmm. The idea that the more you understand how you were wronged, well, that puts the you your that puts the you you sort of put the onus on yourself that I wanna find out everything possible and really dig into okay, well if that doesn't make sense, then let me check this out. And so you you go through that. Um but I think I think women should be praised here too. Again, this is a sport. This is an industry um, built on men um, that have very little women involved. But it is interesting that when you get to, hey, look through these documents and what is my attorney arguing and like, but this doesn't make sense. And then that information is traveled to your wife, your significant other, your mother, and as you get outside of that culture of that industry. It becomes, I think, somewhat clear to, you know, common sense folk. Hey, this don't sound right. And then you could start Googling. You can start researching on your own. And then it gets back to the attorney. And all of a sudden, Najee Davenport wants to say, I want to I look at this in particular because I have my own concussion history to look back on. And we live, you know, I played in an era where all these things were more easily available to research and back up as to what my baseline was as to how many concussions I had. Obviously he played a position that as Jason mentioned earlier, you're going to have a lot of contact. So I think it's a circle system where it starts with the attorneys. Hey, I'm working the best I can for you based on the circumstances and the status quo. The player wants to get down to the nitty gritty. That information is relayed to someone outside of this culture of this industry. And all of a sudden everyone starts to realize we need to look deeper into this because this doesn't make sense. And then it's up to the attorneys to figure out how to best advocate and obviously argue for the fact that this is silly. Like this has been outlawed for decades. Why are we still doing it? Why are you still allowed to do it? Yeah. To clarify that, I think it was the 1991 civil rights act that said yes. that stopped under, the, yeah, the federal it was under, use of race. It was race under Bush. It was under Bush, yeah. And they, it reminds me of an, another thing I think about. You talk about player protection, you know, mm-hmm. who's advocating for the players. The league just added a 17th game to the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, tell like, it, Jason, for sure. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, for all this talk Again, about it's, it's, player it's, safety. It's the appearance, my man. Know, the player appearance. advocacy. They just added, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's crazy. You know, it's just... You talk so much about protect the player, protect the player. And then, you know, we know what the players really need? An extra game. <laughs> we Another need the paycheck. preseason hey. and an extra game because we care so much about their safety. Just when, the, when you look at the players and all players the really need Thursday nights off, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you look at all this player at me, who really is looking out for the players? Because it seems like even with this, yeah, the attorneys were looking out for the players, but it's almost like 
they're looking out for you, but they're really not looking out for you. It's the appearance. So yes. who really I mean, looks I out for the players? I think that's a great point, Jason. And like, I mean, Nate, you and I have talked a lot about this. I think that whenever whenever we talk about the NFL, we always talk about how weak the NFL PA is, the union is. It's, mm. it's the worst in sports and how these players really don't have that kind of institutional protection. And this seems like, I, I understand they weren't represented by the union in this lawsuit, but it seems like an extension of that, where these, the class council, if Najee Davin Port and um, and Kevin Henry didn't have their own attorneys. That mm-hmm. if they didn't go outside the class attorneys, the class action attorneys, yeah. and file these separate lawsuits, this practice would not would not have been overturned. And it really does seem like the representatives who who you know I, I do understand that it's it's difficult to represent a whole class of of, of retired players, right? You're representing yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, of people of different backgrounds and different levels of of um, cognitive impairment and different levels of injury. Sure, there's all of that. But it really does seem like there was a failure here to properly represent these players in this lawsuit. Yeah, but I think whether it's the attorneys and this this is just the reality of it, unfortunately, whether it's the attorneys or the PA, um, you're always engaging from a weak position, from an, an incredibly weak position. Now, is that fair? No, life isn't fair. So you do the best you can. You try to get the best lawyers you can. But, like, the NFL isn't dumb. The NFL knows how to put pressure, particularly on the Players Association, to make sure that this business keeps moving, to make sure the business doesn't really falter. I mean, in the sports entertainment industry, I mean, the NFL is as about pandemic-proof, you know, recession-proof. I mean, like... They have constructed this in a way that there's always a next game. There's always a next season. They literally didn't acknowledge that we were in the middle of a global pandemic until Why like would September. They? <laughs> Why would they? Why would they? Hey, you want to wear a mask and get and get? But but hey, wear a mask. Okay, I was at Super Bowl Fifty Five. Let's just start here. <laughs> hey, you wear a mask to get into the stadium. Cool, cool. First, third, and seven of the game. Taking that mask off, and I'm screaming because the Tampa Bay Bucks are playing the Super Bowl in my city's <laughs> stadium. Like, a, what, what, what world am I gonna keep this on and be like treating this as if it's Wimbledon? They're not gonna do that. So, yeah, the NFL again, they are always participating, engaging from a position of massive strength. Mm-hmm. So, for the attorneys, I think the issue here is okay. The player station can only do so much. They've caved so many times in the past that, you know, they've sort of been, I'm going to say institutionalized in the level of thinking involved in what the NFL is doing. But, hey, the players, like, it's a tough sport. Tough it out. You know, do the best you can. Like, survive to the next game. Survive to the next day. Like, don't think about the big picture. Focus on you and the and the next play. Like, so much of that thought process i completely understand and there is some usefulness of it but i think when you hire an attorney and you try to tell them this situation then you also tell them hey doc you're going up against the nfl Mm -hmm. like hey hey Mm -hmm. this is going to be really hard um and you have to be super dedicated 
And who wants to spend more money? We're all rightfully outraged at this. And I think that the attorneys who represented these players deserve a lot of criticism here. But you're, you, you are right. The other side of that is, you know, you're going up against a $20 billion company like the NFL that has all of the legal prowess behind them mm-hmm. in this landmark settlement that nobody like nobody was sure that and that the players would get anything from the NFL. Right. So in, in 2013, you know, it was kind of a take what you can get mentality, I guess. And what's been happening in the last eight years since that settlement, um, and I would love for you to tell us, give us the context about this judge, Anita Brody, because she has been doing the most in the last eight years. Um, But what has been happening in the last eight years has been all of these, you know, you you won the initial thing and there were a lot of concerns about how this would actually play out. And race norming is just one of those many concerns. Right. And so in the last eight years, there have been follow up lawsuits and follow up court proceedings in order to try and close some of these holes that were in the original thing. How do you Nate? How do you how have you seen that process play out in the last eight years? Um, one of my favorite words in this context is just just continuation. Just continue this thing. Just roll that thing down there. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll get to it. No, no. Well, you see, Judge, we as a league right now need to generate more research. We need to have more points to argue. Um, we need to give ourselves very, $70 million to study this, this seems, by the way. <laughs> your, your Honor, this seems very quick that another attorney has now brought up something that makes common sense to you and I, but I, I we as a again, billion-dollar entity, we would like to give ourselves an ability to present our case, and that is to give us more time and more research and how do we want to message this in a manner that does not give us any real reasoning to ever give in. Like, the league just doesn't want to give in. Um, Now, 2013 is important just because it was the first time under real court proceedings that they had to be like, we lost. Like, they don't want to say that. Um, okay, then you get to the whole situation. Of, well, how do we pay these settlements out? Um, but ultimately, in the last eight years, they just want to keep pushing the issue, not to some conclusion, but I think, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, guys, I just think they want to say to themselves, um, no matter what the argument is on the other side, we need to develop more research. We need to spend more money. We need to spend more time to give ourselves always a position of strength in terms of the argument here. And look, if we could tell a judge uh, we don't agree with this for that and the judge even kind of hears it, you're, you're kind of going to be given um, some flexibility as to what you can do. <laughs> it, it just drives me crazy to think about that just because – Every time you push it back, that's more and more players with this mm-hmm. issue. It's not like it gets any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, like I said, you've added more games. Players are bigger, stronger, faster. I know players personally who have dealt with not just physically, but, you know, brain injuries. A guy I covered with the Raiders, Jared Cooper, they had a big story. I mean, and, I, and if, you know, the last time I saw a story on him, Coop was in a bad space. You know, mm-hmm. couldn't really take care of himself. And when I knew Coop from covering him, this guy was energetic. And just to see the complete change in his personality and just his ability to function, there's more Jared Coopers, there's more of these guys out there. And the league is just to continue to push it back. It's, it's, it's not right. It's not even, it's not, to me, it's not moral. 
Right. And the reason why the league can get away with it, because they can always say, so what if that guy gets mad and retires? We've got a bunch of guys dying to take your take your, your spot and mm-hmm. put themselves at risk for it. And I just don't know how you hold the league accountable. Because to me, when you look at the leagues, the NFL is the most powerful over its players. You know, they still don't, you know, they, they still don't, they can, you know, still void contracts way easier than any other sport. You know, whenever people see these big NFL deals, they go, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes got four hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> Why would he complain? And they don't care what the you know, what the fine print says. And I think that's a big pr- problem that people have when they perceive the league. They say, well, why should they care? Look at all this money they're getting. And I always ask someone, too, how much money is your brain worth? You know, what good is that mm. money if you're in such a bad state? You can't you can't enjoy that money. You know, look at guys like Jim McMahon. You think, you know, he, you think right now the, the struggles that he's had, he's going, well, at least in 85, I won a Super Bowl. Well, maybe he is, but you can't you, you can't continue to try to buy these guys off by saying, so what happened to you? Didn't matter. You got a nice salary when you were in the league. And the fact is, you notice, Nate, most guys mm-hmm. don't make that that those humongous paydays. Most guys only last two or three years. Yeah, the league average right now is a little over three years. And, by the way, if you want to get the league pension, kind of got to make it to four. Because yeah. why would the league pension's requirement be any different? Why Why would Why would the time served required for health care after retirement in any way match up with the average Not at all. Uh, career span of a football player that's just too logical man we gotta just, make just, sure you get that brain really damaged and your body's quite, really messed up before we look, can we help you out you know look, a little arthritis in your 20s you know no big yeah. deal you know but you know you, if you can get to that four-year mark and you're real you really can't walk okay great you know your knees are shot now we'll help you but that three those three years of bad knees no big deal well jason you said it exactly right in that like you know in the eight years since this initial settlement not only have more players retired and more players joined these ranks that are supposed to be protected by the settlement but frankly more players have died (laughs) more players have lost their lives either through um either through you know injuries um you know brain injuries or or suicide you know more players have died and and you know these the settlement was meant to compensate these players but also their families and i think that you know Nate you made a really good point that we can't get lost here is that a lot of a lot of the people who have been advocating on behalf of these retired players have been the wives and the children who who you know, mm-hmm. have either because they're they still have all of their cognitive functioning or they're still alive, have been kind of placed with this responsibility. And and we really do owe a credit to them for knowing that this was a thing, that this race norming practice was a thing and for, you know, kind of helping to push along the subsequent lawsuits that's getting this overturned. Uh, one player that we should mention, and uh, this happened earlier this year in terms of just death, uh, Vincent Jackson. Mm. A very mm-hmm. um, known player in the league at the time, a very good wide receiver, uh, played on two teams, the Chargers and the Buccaneers. Um, you know, dead before turning the age of forty. I mean, we just have to, uh, you know, just understand that that this this is this is this is a sport that again, violent, brutal, will have long term effects long-term effects so in relationship to that player Vincent Jackson here's one random player that I just want to mention because this is what the league would like the players to be which is an outcome 
that is so so small. Um, because I live here in Kansas City and I've uh, been following the Chiefs my whole life, I think about a player named Will Shields, who is not even fifty. I just looked it up. He's forty nine years old. He is a Hall of Fame guard. He is black. Uh, played in two hundred and twenty four games. Started in two hundred and twenty three. Will Shields is a community leader. He is still in association with the Chiefs. He is one of their uh, community ambassadors. Uh, he has his own training facility that he allows current NFL players and most notably high school and college players that want to obviously improve themselves to get a chance to play in the league. Um, Wheel Shields is everything that the NFL wants its players to be. But you have to remember that Will Shields is a rarity. Mm-hmm. And Will Shields still has all of his cognitive functioning, based on my understanding and talking to him hundreds of times. Uh, but he has beaten pretty much all the odds. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, the further a player gets to age 49, 50, 51, 52, the, the percentage it kind of gets very 50-50 as to are you going to be a Will Shields or, unfortunately, will you be in that realm of Vincent Jackson's or other guys I can mention where you're going to be tied up in a settlement with the league, you're going to have some real damages to your body and or brain, you might be dead, or your family members are going to have to, as you mentioned, Kavitha, fight for what you gave to the league, to fans, um, in a manner that is really just, you know, horrific um, because your life should not be sapped out of you in your 20s and 30s because we all know your life shouldn't be snapped out of you in your 20s and 30s. Yeah, and the players live in this fear of, I don't know how I'm going to be next year. You know, it's like, okay, I'm 40, I feel good, but what happens in five years? What if I just wake up one day and I'm not the same? Yes. You know, now my wife has to take care of me, you know, and there's, and, these, and a lot of times, these aren't, these aren't you know, small guys, <laughs> you know, these are large men, you know, guys who, you know, pride and, and they, they live in this fear of well, what will happen to me in five years, 10 years. I, I remember when I was in college and I was looking at trying to walk on, I had a guy tell me, don't do it. And he's and I'm like, why? He's like, it's not worth it. He says, he's like, he's like, I hate my life, mm. the way I feel. He ended up making it to the league. And the name uh, I went to high school with him, Brandon Whiting. He ended up playing for the Eagles and the 49ers. But he was like, I'm in pain every day. He's 20 telling me this. He's like, my back hurts. I've had three surgeries. He was like, I know you want to keep playing, but in reality, if you don't ever play again, you'll be fine. And mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, you, the, a lot of the guys go in knowing that's a, you know, kind of the cost of, you know, the gig. You're going to be in some pain, but there's still this inherent fear. And then they read the stories as well. Players taking their lives but saying, I'm going to shoot myself in the heart because I know my brain isn't right anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want you to study my brain. I mean, I can't even imagine the level of despair you must be in to, to accept that and say, this is what I'm going to do. And it's, then a lot, and a lot of the players who have done this are black players. It's despair. And it's it's also this like really haunting level of awareness 
to be able to say, I want you to study my brain because I don't want this to happen to future generations of players, but I'm in so much pain that I still want to kill myself. So I'm, you know, like that, like that's just, that's haunting, but mm-hmm. it's also, it's, it's so, but it's so telling as like, we all know what we're talking about here, right? Like this settlement in 2013, you know, yeah, like we can talk to a bunch of players. I, I, I interviewed Jerome Bettis once and he was like, man, like, you know, I don't have any cartilage left in my knees and I can't crouch to put a golf ball and, you know, I really want to golf in retirement and, mm. and that's all of that. But we are, we are talking about, you know, really devastating brain injury as well and what the settlement was supposed to do was to correct decades of ignoring this problem and it seems that it's it's just created a lot more problems in 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 the process of this and i i did want to get both of you you know I, like so much of this is just disgusting to me but you know we're we're having a whole lot of conversations in the last year particularly about healthcare in this country and the disparities in healthcare in this country and the way that black and latino communities do not have the same access to healthcare and here we have an extremely dramatic example of healthcare being denied to black players to black retirees literally based off of an assumption of biological inferiority. Wouldn't you love to be in the room, right? <laughs> like the more, you know, when we, you know, when I when I agreed to to be on with you guys and it's been um it's been so good to have this conversation and I hope our listeners and you know appreciate it and and understand the knowledge we're trying to give. One of my first thoughts was what, you know, it's one thing to be at the stadium on game day in the press box, you see a guy take a hit you know exactly where he's going. He's going to the blue tent. They're going to get a quick evaluation. He's going to go from there to the locker room. They already have another room tied, you know, sort of set off to the locker room that says, hey, here's the concussion evaluation room. Here's where your baseline is. Think about this. Where's your baseline Mm -hmm. based on your complexion? So you know where he's going in all of this. Now, my thought was, if I know what that's like on game day and how, you know, conflicting that may be, I mean, imagine being in the room. Can I get you to clarify that? I, I didn't even think about that, but obviously, like, there, there's the concussion tent and there's game day protocol when, when something like that happens. Is that baseline that is being used to evaluate that in the in-game situation also race-normed? It's not now. Okay. But, you know, in terms of, like, there's... I should say this. The NFL has done a slightly decent job on understanding, like, hey, uh, understanding where you are from a player standpoint. Um, When you come to training camp, there's all these things you have to do in terms of your equipment, in terms of your baseline, uh, from a cognitive standpoint. And, you know, in relationship to what you may encounter in the season, we have all this information for you so that it's supposed to be as quick and as smooth as a process as it was or as it is, comparative to where it was in the 90s, which does involve race norming more, I should say, more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, team doctors, medical professionals, they're supposed to be way better about this stuff now versus in the past. But again, for a person like Will Shields, who may have been gotten dinged up in the 90s, who's to say what happens in that room? Who's to say how that conversation goes? Now, again, Will Shields is the rarity because he played so many games under so many consecutive years 
that obviously he was very good and uh, and was it, you know was enshrined in the Hall of Fame. But I just think on game day, um, there's a system and a process that I've tried to get to really learn and understand over my years covering the Chiefs uh, because we had to deal with the whole Patrick Mahomes thing when he got, you know, mm-hmm. was a concussion? Was it a head injury? Like, you know, this obviously goes into HIPAA laws, whereas what can you release, you know, from an information standpoint if the player and the team are okay with? Uh, but there's a whole system to this. And that happened in the playoffs, in the games that actually are supposed to matter. So when you're a retired player seeking proper medical treatment, I just want to know what those conversations are like because of race norming and the fact that you were lower than your white counterpart. Yeah, there's an inherent distrust of team doctors anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you talk about, you yes. know, no matter how much information you get before a season, I mean, did anyone really think Patrick Mahomes was not going to play? <laughs> I mean, right. I, mean there's I, just, I, I certainly there's, wasn't there's, there's one a of cynic- them. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cynical just thing when I hear a team doctor anyway. You see it in all sports, mm-hmm. but I think in fo- like, you know, look at the NBA playoffs. I see Anthony Davis dragging his leg. I'm like, what? who cleared him? Well, and that's why so many players have their own, they have their own personal second positions. Opinion. They get the second, they always get the second opinion. Yeah, and, and, and I don't blame players for that yep. because yep. there's this just so much, you know, um, as somebody once said, the team doctor's job is to get you back out there. Right. Yes. It's right. not, you know, and so you talk about a, concu- you know, the concussion and you're like, well, okay. Did, is my score really based on me or is my score set somewhere to where if I do get one, it won't be that bad. I can get back quicker. You know, maybe well, that's why like, you know, and that, 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 that mistrust is there well, already with players. I, again, I, I kind of said it that way just for this discussion, <laughs> just for these points that Jason mentioned. He knew, he knew it, but I'm just saying like from a league standpoint, like that is sort of the, the information that is transferred over. But yes, you need to have, Sort of the the spec, you know the the I'm looking for the word now, but you need to have sort of the criticism and the, you know, does this all make sense? And like, who's to say? Who's to know? You know. And so I remember coming up in in reporting and, and learning about this stuff in college and how always the second opinion was sort of sort of sh- you know sh- shrouded in like you know well he's getting a second opinion and it's like <laughs> wouldn't you? Well, yeah, because <laughs> like, but like. First- this- well, because the first the first opinion was given by a league employee. Like, let's just call yeah. a spade a spade. These team doctors, I, I don't think all of I think I think most of them do actually care about the players that they're treating. But at the end of the day, the league is signing their paychecks. So where is their yes. where are their priorities lying? But that's also why this race norming thing. One of the ways that we know about this and that we know exactly how it worked was that ABC, I believe, um, obtained a bunch of emails from doctors who were treating these retired players. So these were personal physicians. These were not team doctors at all. And basically, they said by the guidelines given to them, um, and they said these in these emails that were obtained, they felt pressured every time to employ race norming. Whereas the league, and I think the, um, I can't remember if it was the league or if it was the class council that said, you know, race norming was up to each individual physician's discretion. Here you have every physician basically saying, we felt pressured to always employ this practice. So, you know, there's this like appearance of objective medicine or of of medicine that hasn't been tainted by the league, but they're still going by league mandated guidelines that require this practice. I mean, 
there needs to be more media coverage just about this in general. It should have happened, again, decades ago. Jason made a great point about players understanding that, like, game to game, week to week, you're almost programmed to say less versus saying more. It's wild that a entity can essentially influence and affect someone who went to medical school. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. An entire entity, an industry, a corporation has the ability to influence and perhaps and ultimately affect somebody who gave years to go to medical school to treat people the way they should be properly treated, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, like that's the job you signed up for. But in this case, we're gonna need you to do this for us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Wanna get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I mean, look, we have a we have a decades long heroin and opioid problem because a bunch of doctors were able to be gotten to by by three pharmaceutical companies, essentially. Yep. So, um, you know, I'm extremely cynical about the corrupting power of money. But also like what I, I just I, I mean, I have so many questions. We could talk about this for five episodes, frankly. But <laughs> like, you know, you said I would love to be in the room. I would love to be in the room when this part of the settlement was being negotiated, because it's not like we don't have examples of you know, how to do this without bringing race norming in, right? Like the 9-11 mm-hmm. Victims Fund uses um, a unified um, standard to gauge payouts, basically, regardless of race and, 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 and everything like that. How do we get from something that seems extremely simple like that to something that is not only more complicated, but hella racist? Yeah. Um, it goes, in some ways, it goes to players putting pressure on the players association to put more pressure on the league i'm not saying that's a winning strategy i'm just saying that is one strategy that seems logical in nature um some players are too young to look beyond the future some players are unwilling to uh use their voice in this manner Um, Some players are unwilling to see the connection between themselves and their peers of a different generation. Um, But you can get to the lawyer's point. You can get to being in a courtroom. I mean, those things are always on the path. But I think it needs to start with players understanding where they've been from, where they're going, and understanding that... um, Hey, when you run that summer high school camp, like, are you thinking about this in a manner that can ensure not your safety, but the safety of people that want to be the next generation of you? I mean, it's it's always fascinating to me, particularly in this time of this of the calendar, June, a little bit of May, a little bit of July before obviously training camp starts, where prominent players will say, hey, come out to my camp. Let me show you, like, some tips, some moves. Uh, It's great to get you outside and running, you know, and see the level of competition. But, you know, 
are college institutions going to give you a real understanding of the player's perspective? The NFL is not going to do that. So who are the players that are going to be more urgent in explaining some of this because they heard from another player who has gone through this? What can Najee Davenport do for players now? What can he do for the Player Association? Here's a question that what you in the Players Association wants me to say. Does the Players Association want to actually listen to this man? So, all of these things, it needs to be player-driven because there's too many examples now where other groups in this ballroom are not protecting you. But you're out there dancing for our entertainment, so please put it upon yourself to get the next dancers to be like, hey man, like, can we have true equality to the best of our abilities when we already know we're arguing from a position of weakness? And that's a big part of it. It really is the players and it's got to start younger. I mean... When I was coming up, the Oklahoma drill was cool. And, I know. Oh my god! And I, you so know, elaborate. like oh, and as you look back now, that's that's the most psychotic thing to have us doing as kids: lay on your back, <laughs> roll over, and run head first into another human being, <laughs> and see who's tougher. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know that was the most fun part of training camp. Oh, we're gonna do Oklahoma, and if you didn't want to do Oklahoma, you were weak. And if you, if you got a little headache, oh, it's no big deal. That's normal. You seeing stars? No, get some I'm going to say the kid who didn't want to do the Oklahoma girl pro- drill probably has the highest cognitive functioning of anyone on the field. But, you know, yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, but, you know, but part of it is it's it's a it's a peer thing. You know, yeah. you say, you, you know, hey, you know, I mean, we've seen it in, in the recent years where the concussion protocol will get enacted and the doctor will say, hey, that guy's kind of shaken up. And the players will be like, he seemed fine to me. And the guy's wobbling off the field and his teammates were going to let him stay out there. Or the guy who says, Hey, come get him. He gets looked at crazy. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, no, something is wrong. So in a lot of, you know, the players have to be a lot more vigilant in this in, in, in protecting each other and protecting themselves. And I think, but then again, there's that kind of that, that power play with the league. Okay. That guy gets a concussion too often. We'll just cut him. You know, that, that nice contract you signed, guess what? Only that first year was guaranteed. Bye. And so in a lot of ways, the league just has this power, <laughs> you know, yeah. because, you know, they can say, you know what? All right. You know, there's another guy somewhere who's working out right now who will risk that concussion yeah. just to get that paycheck. And I think the players, and it has to, it has to start younger. You, you have to have guys in high school, in college, thinking about their brands. And players have tried it in college. They've tried to have, you know, unionize on some level but it's hard it's hard it's hard you can't to go against the nfl and like the nfl doesn't lose like 99 times out of 100 the nfl does not lose in court so it's it's hard to go against them what about us like what about the media why isn't this a bigger story like the three of us are sitting here absolutely outraged at this and we could yell about this for hours more but why isn't this the biggest story in sports right now uh in some ways, Kavitha, and I'm sure you know this, uh, in some ways, it's June. <laughs> so we haven't gotten to training camp yet. Oh, by the way, like, this settlement happened in June, kids. Why did that happen? Or late late May, excuse me. But, like, you know, um, part of it is the calendar. Part of it is um, these deals 
the, the settlement did happen in a manner that was sort of um, it, it had little coverage to begin with. It has little coverage coming out of it. It's just one of those things of like, oh, did you know that that happened? It's kind of one of those things. Um, I get the sense that we as a industry are too focused on the transactional, which I which I get because it, it's cool to see a player go from one team to another or for this deal to happen. Um, we are not in the locker rooms as much as we've been, uh, less and less. So that relationship between reporter, player, um, you know, the leagues themselves have tried to make that more difficult over time. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, but there's been times where, you know, in previous years where I've been in the locker room kind of presenting, you know, Jason's argument to the players where it's like, you wouldn't do that if it was a guy's knee. You would quickly be like, hey, like, my man can't get up, you know. But there is still that hesitancy of, did you get the next play call? I don't think he got the next play call. But just everybody sort of points like, you're there. That's your guy. Like, you know. And unless he stumbles he, over to go cover that wide receiver. Yeah, unless the league, you know can spot it so clearly that everybody, whether you're in the row seven, you're in section 400, of, you know, whether you're watching TV, unless everybody can clearly see it, then sometimes you may not put that player in the blue tent, for instance, in, in the NFL context. So here's the last point I'll make, and this is even upon me. Like, when a player retires, kind of the end. Mm. Like, you just don't... Because there's always new games, there's always new players, and there's always new transactions, and there's always, like something else to go do but even i know that like when a guy retires like as jason has mentioned you you do keep relationships with them you do keep in contact with them to some degree but like are you telling that next chapter or chapters or just you know um i try to make it a point to get to know uh somebody tied to you in that locker room whether it's high school coach mother you know significant other whatever like are those people, um, would you keep those same relationships with those people to understand what that player is going through? And obviously this takes years of, you know, seeing the, the results and the effects of, of what a player can go through. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the issues are with us. A lot of the issues are with the leagues themselves. But um, we're trying. We're trying to make it better. But it's, it's going to take a concerted effort um, in my my estimation. Well, what do you think, Jason? Why why aren't more people outraged about this? I think along those lines with the media, part of it is a lot of us have some of those same inherent biases about players. Mm. Mm. So mm-hmm. when we when we say, look it, at a, say it louder, <laughs> Woo! that hit my soul. You know, a lot of a lot of us in this business want to act like, oh yeah, we're no. A lot of us look at players and go, mm-hmm, that's a big you know big dummy, you know, and so we don't really care. And so, you know, you know, when so when you see something about race norming, you go, well, maybe that guy really wasn't that bright anyway. Mm. And so you're not going to be outraged unless, you know, you hear Tom Brady got treated wrong because you like Tom. But maybe that got maybe that backup you know, tackle who maybe has a southern accent and you didn't quite understand and you don't want to get to know him. Mm-hmm. If you well, he find out like about you. him, you're like, oh, wow, really? Oh, I never thought, you know. He wasn't smart. And I've heard reporters say a guy wasn't smart mm-hmm. all because of his accent. And I've had to check him. So I think some of the coverage is dictated by the fact you have people who are in this business 
who don't have a problem with it. They figure these guys signed up for it. So, so what? So what if their brains are messed up? You got, you got paid a whole lot of money to get your brain messed up because guess what? And this is one of the dumbest things I hear reporters say. If I could do it, I would do it. From Number one, you can't do it. And number two, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. I mean, the word if is doing a whole lot of work. In that <laughs> yeah. And it's or, just an idea that because the guy made $5 million, he somehow deserves to... Hmm. To not have his memory anymore, or that he de- that he's not he's somehow less human because he was a great athlete. And until a lot of us in this business break away from that and see the athletes as humans as well, mm-hmm. I think we're always going to have a, a to some level these stories aren't reported the way they should be. I think you're exactly right, Jason. This brings it all back, like comes full circle to you know at the top of this discussion we talked about how this relates to the perception of black players being quarterbacks or black coaches being head coaches. And, you know, when you look at not just scouting reports, but when you just look at at articles that, you know, some of our colleagues have written about about black players versus white players, the words are always about their athletic, about black players, natural athleticism, about them being fast and strong. And the words about white players are always have to do with their football IQ, their intelligence, their leadership, all of that. Right. So I do think you're exactly right Jason in that there's not there's not as much outrage as there should be because I there is this like very implicit bias that some writers might have some media members and certainly some fans that maybe black players really are naturally dumber than white players yeah and I think that that definitely skews how you view it because I mean you'll say who cares about Najee Davenport? You know, <laughs> you're like, he's Najee Davenport, you know, and maybe if you're not a hardcore football fan, you don't remember him. And I just think you don't want to, you know, what you don't want to have to have happen is you need a major, you know, right. Hall of Fame type player or a bunch of Hall of Fame type players to come out and say, this is what's wrong with me. Or this is, are their families having to come out and explain why i don't know he's not at the 50th anniversary of this or that it's because he can't bring him outside because he you know the noise bother you know the noise bothers them or he really you know if we leave him out here he may get confused you know and we don't want him to go through that maybe maybe we need more prominent players i don't know but at some point we have to you know get past the idea that just because someone is a great athlete that they don't have any intelligence mm-hmm. in this in in this notion that there isn't any bias in the way we report on the athlete because there, there clearly is. I mean, if you're yeah. in the NFL, you're a good athlete. I know they yes. show the picture of Tom Brady from pre-draft and like, oh, look at his body. The man played Division One football. He's a good athlete. Yeah, <laughs> you right, know, right. And I, we we have to get past. Dude had his idea. teeth done, but that's a different story. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I think as long as long as people view athletes as just athletes and not someone worthy of of intelligence are mm-hmm. their intelligence being appreciated. We saw it last year. Shut up and dribble. Shut up and play. We don't want to hear what you got to say. You know, as long as we continue to put athletes in that box, stories like these will get attention, but you're still going to be like, oh, well, just a football player, just a football yeah. player. And that's right. unfortunate, but we've got to continue to report these things and keep it out there so that maybe one day, I don't know what day that would be, but we can get past some of this. Yeah. Right. The, the thing I would, the thing I would add to that, Kavitha, is it, 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 it makes me think of two players in the NFL context. The first one is Brett Favre. What happens to Brett Favre? Um, because that guy was, to some people, a, a large segment of people, the ultimate warrior. That guy was going to play. He took all the shots. Um, you know, 
as Jason mentioned, if Brett Favre, we don't hope this happens, but if Brett Favre were to have some cognitive issues in the future, I mean, you can, you can just tie it, you can relate it in a much easier manner because of, as Jason said, prominent player, played quarterback, but the media coverage surrounding him the whole his whole media arc beyond being a Super Bowl champion is the dude was tougher than your average quarterback than your average football player he was out there on Lambeau Field in the frozen tundra in January taking all the hits to get the Packers to victory so in some ways it will be easier hopefully for fans in the future for reporters for just the population as a whole to understand just the effects that can come of this. And then you add the element of race, Normie, which again is just insane. Yeah. But the second player gets us to today's context. And the reason I mentioned Brett Favre beyond his whole history is that was Patrick Mahomes' favorite player. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes' favorite quarterback, whether he Learned about him through his father, who was a former Major League Baseball player, or just looking up clips on YouTube and being amazed. I mean, I've written stories where Patrick Mahomes wanted to tie himself, to some degree, to Brett Favre in terms of the style of play. So, it was not lost on me that the biggest play of Patrick Mahomes' career, in my estimation, was generated from his own thought process. And I've written this in The Athletic. Um, People have called Patrick Mahomes a unicorn. Not when it comes to just his athletic abilities, which are rare in and of itself. Um, He has the intelligence that got the Chiefs in a position to win the Super Bowl. So uh, people should understand that just because he has a certain complexion, he is thinking about the game in a manner that should be accounted for and thought of um, when you see him play because it's not just natural abilities, which obviously is the case, but he's 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 so mentally advanced that I thought it was important for people to understand this because you see the highlights and it's physical versus like, no, half of that is physical. The other part is he's just mentally brilliant in a lot of ways. So those are two, play- two players that I thought of in the NFL context as it relates to this. And we just hope that... Um, as reporters and as just people who are interested in the sport understand that uh, the brain is the most important part of our bodies in a lot of ways. And it's also the case when you play football because playing football at that speed takes a lot of brain cells, like just massive amounts of them. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you guys about this for hours, um, but I really appreciate the conversation. I think at the very least, like the NFL can't stand up and say Black Lives Matter with a straight face as long as this continues to go on. So, uh, you know, let's hope they they reverse this soon. And uh, and yeah, and thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Culture Calculus. For The Athletic, I'm Kavitha Davidson. If you like our podcast, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. We'll see you next week. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.